Welcome to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz welcoming you aboard the Bible bus for our first study in the beautiful book of Song of Solomon. To start off, here's Dr. McGee with an introduction. We're living at the present moment when one half of all marriages end up in shipwreck on the sea of matrimony. So-called Christian marriages do not fare any better. They are about at the same ratio, we're told. What has happened to Christian marriage? Well, the wrecking crew has been busy rushing about with all kinds of band-aids and glue and salve trying to cement the relationship back together. And it's sort of like Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's men and all the king's horses can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. And that looks like that Humpty Dumpty is marriage today. When I was pastor in downtown Los Angeles, I had a time when this thing began, when trouble started in the home, in the kitchen, in the bedroom, in the bathroom, in the living room. And I want to use an example today to try to get before you this little book we're coming to and how it fits into life. You see, so many people treat love and marriage as something rather nebulous, something that is sort of make-believe stuff. It's romance, but it's not reality. Well, it is reality, and it gets right down where the rubber meets the road and right down where the mop meets the kitchen floor, let me tell you. And I want to give this example that we had. There was a very fine couple. He was a very handsome man, but rather rough in his manner and gruff in his talk. In fact, of the matter is, he insulted his wife and right before me, which was a terrible thing for when they came in, he called her something he should not have. Actually, she was a beautiful lady. She was very refined and really a very sweet person. And he made his complaints, and she made her complaints, and they both were eager to tell what was wrong with the other one. And when they had finished, exhausted themselves telling about the other one, I asked each one of them this question, and I always did this with couples, I asked him first, I said, do you love your wife? And he said, no, I don't. And what he said hurt her. He says, she's horse-faced. That's the exact word he used. And it was awful to do that because she was not that. She actually was beautiful. And then I asked her, I said, do you love your husband? And she said, no. And I think she said it because he'd said no. But nevertheless, they both said no. Well, I said to them then, I can't help you. I don't think that there's any way in the world I can help you. 
And he says, well, aren't you going to tell her what she's to do and that she's wrong? I said, no, I'm not going to tell her anything. And she says, well, can't you tell him to act like a husband should act? And I said, no, I'm not. They want to know why. And I says, because you don't love each other. I said, marriages are made on love. I said, I still believe they're made in heaven. And they exist on love. They feed on love. And if there's no love there, there's not any marriage. Because you take a solemn oath when you get married. If I perform the marriage ceremony, that you love her and honor And I never put obey in there because I don't think it belongs there. We're not inducting somebody into an army where you'd obey the top sergeant. There's no top sergeant in the Christian home as I see it. Now, they both just turned on me. And boy, they told me I was of no help to them whatsoever. And you want to know the truth? I don't think I was at that moment. And... I noticed they went out together because they were now in agreement that they were off of me. Well, I didn't see them at church for about a month. And be very frank with you, I don't ordinarily look for certain members to show up, but I sure did look for them. And by the way, they were not members of the church. They attended there, but they didn't enter into any of the groups. And, well, tell the truth, I really expected to hear that they had got a divorce. Then one Sunday morning, there they were, sitting down right near the front together. And they were, you know, getting rather close to each other. You couldn't put anything between them that day. And after church, why, they came down and they said, you know, we found out that we loved each other. And I said to them, Do you want to come in for counseling now? And they said, why? Everything has been worked out. If your marriage, my friend, is only a physical relationship, then it's no different than two dogs meeting in a back alley. And there's no more meaning to it than that. Why are marriages breaking up? Well, I've always said it's the wrong people getting married. One of the married couples has found another dog to run around with. That's the problem today. Make sure, young lady, that he's saved and that he loves you. Make sure, young man, that she's saved and that she loves you. And the Lord alone can give you that love for each other. And when he does, it's going to last. It has to last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you help us to enter into your presence with humble hearts and open ears? In Jesus' name, amen. Here's Song of Solomon on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now today, friends, we come to a book that perhaps if I use the best judgment that I've got, I probably would not even share it on the air because this is a book that has been called a holy of holies of the Bible. And I think that it is just that. There are many ways of approaching this book. And may I say that actually it is not a story at all. It's a song. And you'll remember that this man Solomon was quite a songwriter 
as a writer of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. We are told over in 1 Kings, and I think probably I better turn there. It's the fourth chapter and verse 32. It says here that he, speaking of Solomon, he spake 3,000 Proverbs, and his songs were a 1,005. Now, that's quite interesting that he wrote 3,000 Proverbs, and if you count them in the book of Proverbs and even include the book of Ecclesiastes, you come up with a great deal less than 3,000. So we have very few, actually, of what Solomon wrote. We can say two things about them. The first is we have the best that he wrote. Surely we'd have that. And then the second thing, we'd have those that the Spirit of God wanted us to have today. Then the strange thing is that he wrote a thousand and five songs. And that means he's quite a songwriter. He wrote quite a few songs. Imagine a thousand. He could get on Tin Pan Alley any day with the number of songs that he wrote. And many of these songs, and we'll talk about that later, of course, we do not have. In fact, we generally say we only have one song. But I want to submit something to you that I feel is quite interesting. And that is that the number 1,005 is not a round number like 3,000 Proverbs. You'd think it would say 1,000 songs and just maybe give us a round number. But the Word of God doesn't do that. We are told here that it's 1,005. Now, the very interesting thing is that the Song of Solomon is actually the book of Canticles. Now, Canticle is a little song. And it means that there are several songs here, several little songs that you have here. Now, there's a difference of opinion of how many that you have. Now, I think the old position was that there were five here. And I rather agree with that. Now, I notice the New Schofield Bible has 13 now, how they get that, I do not know, but I do know that the New Schofield Bible is a very excellent Bible. But I would continue to accept the old division that it's five, and that actually you have five of the songs of Solomon here in the Song of Solomon are the book of Canticles, little songs. And that there is, I think, a marvelous connection and a marvelous relationship that we have here. And I'm going to make that division as we go along in the book. But there are so many introductory matters that I want to give to you today in this little book because this is a book that the average reader who probably is going through the Bible the first time, he's puzzled when it comes to this. The carnal Christian will misunderstand and misinterpret this book. That's exactly what they do. And there have been different ways of interpreting the book. Origen and Jerome, they called it an allegory. And actually, I think it's an allegory of the church, a picture of the church, as we shall mention. But very candidly, I don't think that would exhaust it by any means. I think that what we have told here in song is really a very wonderful thing. And what you have in this epistle, therefore, is what Peter said concerning some of Paul's writings. 
In 2 Peter 3, 16, he said, And also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction. And this little epistle, of course, has been greatly abused by carnal Christians. Now, the nation Israel, they would not permit it to be read by an Israelite until he was 30 years of age. Now, the reason for that is there was the danger of reading into it the salacious and the suggestive, the vulgar and the voluptuous, the sensuous and sex into this. And very frankly, this is a wonderful picture of physical, human, wedded love. And it gives the answer, very frankly, to two groups of people today. One of those that hold to asceticism, that actually you're not to get married. And the other is that of lust. And both, I think this little book makes very clear, that are wrong. And it says that wedded love is a very wonderful thing and a very glorious thing. And I was advised by a retired minister not to preach on this until I was 60 years of age. And you know what I did? I turned right around and preached on it immediately. That's what a young preacher do. And I must confess, now that I'm past that 60, I think that qualifies me to at least as far as the chronology is concerned, to be able to speak on it. But I must confess that it means more to me today than it did 40 years ago, and that the elaborate and vivid and striking and bold language that is here is to me today a very wonderful, glorious picture of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ And I know of no book that's going to draw you closer to him and be more personal than this little book will be. And when you compare it actually to other Oriental poetry, you get some of the Persian poetry. You think you're reading some modern poetry. You think that you're reading some of the dirty stuff that's being written today. Well, you find when you make that comparison, it's rather mild and restrained. Some have called it the Holy of Holies, of the Old Testament. And therefore, not everyone is permitted inside its sacred enclosure. Here's where you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. And that's the reason I said at the beginning, I hesitate to give this on the air. And I trust today, if you're a carnal Christian, or if you're not a Christian, just tune this out and don't listen for the next few days. But if you're one that's walking with the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ means a great deal to you and you love him, then this little book's going to mean a great deal to you. Now, what good purpose does this book serve? It's poetic and practical. And here you have God speaking to his people in poetic songs. I would think it would be just a regular song that you might hear that gives a story. And there's a great deal of that type of music abroad today, and it's not on a very high level. And I'm sure that there are those that would classify this that way. Well, now let me mention some of the purposes of this, and that will help us, I think, to stand here 
at the very beginning of this book and recognize we need to take our spiritual shoes off of our feet. We're on holy ground. Now, first of all, it sets forth the glory of wedded love, marital bliss. When I see today the sexual freedom that we are seeing, and a great many people think that that's good, may I say to you that as one young fellow that was with this group believing in free love, believing in this matter of no marriage, not necessary, just living like animals. That's the thing he said to me. He said, for several years, I live like an animal. And he says, if you want to know the truth, I don't think sex meant any more to those of us in that group than it means to an animal. Couldn't mean very much. Therefore, today, this younger generation that is geared to sex and their lifestyle is just all of this sexual expression today, I'm of the opinion they know very little about it. All they know is what an animal knows. A dog out there on the street knows as much as they know about it. But we're missing something today. This little book teaches the sacredness of marriage. It reveals it as a divine institution. It shows what real love is. Here you have the heart of a satisfied husband and that of a devoted wife. This generation knows a great deal about sex, but it knows nothing about love. It's the Hollywood type of love today. Why, a boy or girl of 13 today knows more than their parents did. The very interesting thing, a father he wanted to talk to his young boy about sex, and he beat around the bush about it, finally blurted out. He said, son, I'd like to talk to you about some of the facts of life. And the boy says, Dad, what would you like to know? The boy knew more than his dad did. Modern novel and plays today. The heroes are neurotic, and the heroines have some sort of erotic condition, and the plots are tomerotic. And you have the latest plays, no use for me to mention them. It's like taking a trip through the sewers of Paris. Then there's another purpose, not only to set forth the glory of wedded love, but it sets forth the love of Jehovah for Israel. That's not new, of course. The prophets mentioned that. The little book of Hosea dwells upon that. And to breach this matter of wedded love is the greatest sin in all the world, according to Hosea. And then there's another purpose here, it reveals the love of Christ for the church. What a beautiful picture we have here. And God uses human affection to convey to our dull minds and our dead hearts and our distorted affections and our diseased wills His so great love. And He uses the very best to arouse us to realize the wonderful love that He has for us today. This little book lets you enter into a marvelous, wonderful relationship that you probably have never known before. And you'll not be satisfied with all this gimmickry today that's going around. Folk taking this little course, and if they learn a few psychological gyrations, they'll be able to live better in the family. They'll be able to work out their problems. 
My friend, what is needed today is a knowledge of the Word of God and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that very few of us are experiencing in this hour in which we live. Now you have here something else. You have here the love of Christ for the individual. And many great saints of God down through the years have experienced that. Paul knew something of that. He loved me, and he gave himself for me, Paul could say. And then that was Samuel Rutherford. My, how he could spend a whole night in prayer, in a cold night. His wife would miss him, and during the night she'd get up and go looking for him, find him, take his great big old overcoat and put it over him. And he'd never know she'd been there. And McCheney and Dwight L. Moody and many of these men came into a real personal relationship. Now, a great many people try to speak of this as an experience or a second experience and that we all need it. May I say to you, it's more than an experience. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, seeing really how wonderful he is, how glorious he is, and how he has a personal relationship with us today and how you and I need to develop that. We need to come to the place where it could be true of us that we love him because he first loved us. This little book will break the alabaster box of ointment, and the fragrance of it will fill our lives, and I trust will spread out to others. And here you have actually a very wonderful picture given to us, It's given in the form of an antiphony. You have here several. You have a young bride. She's a Shulamite. We're going to tell her story next time. And then you have the daughters of Jerusalem. Then you have this Shulamite. She's the bride. And then the bridegroom. And they're wonderful exchanges of love. And the hot passion, if you please... Now, friends, let me say this very carefully, and I come back to this because, oh, how people are being deluded today. They feel like that the Christian life is sort of like getting the instructions for putting together a toy that you buy at the five and ten cent store, only now you pay a dollar for those toys. I know because I buy them for my grandson. Things I could buy for a dime, I pay a dollar for today, and There always comes with this little truck that you put together or this little house, this instructions. You take piece A and you put it down by piece B and you take piece C then and you fit it in there. And I want to tell you that some of them are really complicated. You almost have to have a BA degree in order to put some of these little gadgets together. Now, a great many people think the Christian life is like that that if you get together a little mixture of psychology, a little mixture of common sense, a little mixture of salesmanship, and a few verses of the Bible that will be like a sugar coating over the pill, then you take that and you've really got it made. Oh, my friend, may I say to you today, that is not the solution to the problem. It's the personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And today, we need a hot passion for him. This 
cool, lukewarm condition that you find existing in the church and among so-called dedicated Christians. I'm a little weary, I don't know about you, of dedicated Christians. Some of them are as cold as a cucumber. Some of them are as unfriendly, and some of them are really arrogant in attitude. We know something. We've got something. We belong to a little group, and our little group can do this, and our little group believes this, and you're more or less of an outsider. My friend, what we all need today is a real, living, burning passion for the person of Jesus Christ. This little book we're entering right now is going to tell us all about that. It's going to be personal. And, well, maybe if you have unsaved ears or those ears are not blood-tipped, maybe you better not listen to us the next few days. But I hope you do. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. There are more great lessons to learn from Song of Solomon, so join us next time. And until then, you can reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or ttb.org. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?